Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is William Walker. Thanks for being on the show, William. Thank you, Whitney. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show, William. I know you and I met during a mastermind that we're both a part of in, in uh, San Diego. That's it's, right. That's it right. Like it's been Sunny so long San ago. I don't know if it was six or eight months ago or something, but anyway, so, you know, just having a few conversations with you there, I knew you would be a great guest. And so I'm really looking forward to this and you sharing your expertise, but a little about William, he's a CPA in the state of Tennessee and a registered appraiser in Georgia has obtained a diverse experience in portfolio, single family asset valuation, transaction, due diligence, valuation, review, quality of earnings analysis, construction, and property management through his work as a consultant with Ernst and Young in their transactional real estate practice and as a managing partner with 4M REI in the private equity sector. Since 2017, while working in the private sector, he has been a general partner on over $55 million of multifamily acquisitions. William, thank you again for your time. Give the listeners a little more about your focus right now and let's dive into your superpower. Yeah, thanks, Whitney. So our uh, bread and butter in the business is value-add multifamily. And my background comes a little bit from the corporate side of the business. As you said, uh, I started out as a a CPA, a good old bean counter uh, coming out of school. And I went into that focus really to have a, a better understanding of business, not knowing exactly what I wanted to get into. But as that story has progressed, I've really dived in and, and gone full-time into multifamily, starting on the consulting side of the business with Ernst & Young and was able to work with some really cool transactions such as post-property acquisition or MidAmerica acquired post-properties, which is a, a 25000 unit portfolio transaction that I was able to work on and then got involved in some masterminds, as you referenced, that uh, we actually met at and kind of saw the business from more of a a boots on the ground entrepreneurial side and ultimately gave me confidence to go after that private side of the business. But since about March 2018, I've been full-time in the business, hunting deals on a daily basis, looking for those value-add opportunities where we can come in and put an influx of capital, manage it well, and and ultimately pay a good return to our investors. Awesome. Well, I'd love to hear a little about your, maybe your first deal or first syndication, and then we'll kind of fast forward to some awesome stuff that uh, you and your team are working on now. Yeah, sure. The first larger multifamily deal that I did was in 2018. And it had probably been two years since I had started really focusing on the multifamily side of the business. And I would accredit that to, uh, you know, working with some great partners, but it was 160 unit property in Georgia and found it. I was in a ULI meeting, which is uh, the Urban Land Institute, more known for their new construction, but great organization to network and be a part of. But I met a lady there and got to talking with her. And, you know, she said, you know, one of my good friend's husband works, you know, for a lending institution. He's in multifamily. I think you guys should meet. And, uh, at the time, I didn't think a lot of it, but got her business card and, and she made the introduction, but ended up, you know, becoming pretty good friends with this guy who uh, originates debt for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And 
We touch base almost daily, uh, at least once a week for, you know, a good five or six months. He was asking me what, you know, what I was looking at. I was asking him what he was lending on and it was just kind of grew from there. But over that period, we got more comfortable with each other. And about six months in, uh, you know, he called me up one day and said, Hey, I've got a deal that the buyer backed out on and, you know, the broker's looking for a plug basically. So are you interested? And I think I said, of course, you know, send me the information. Uh, we underwrote it real quick. And before we knew it, we had a, a deal on our hands. And that was the first one that, like I said, first large multifamily that I had been a part of and, and done. But ultimately, I credit it to a, a relationship and doesn't always have to come from a sales broker either. Wow. So you didn't really see that coming from that relationship at all, right? No, I, unfortunately, he hasn't given me any more like that. I, I like to uh, <laughs> to tease him. I want to get at least one a year out of him, but uh, that was the only one I've gotten so far. But he's gone on to uh, to place the debt on several more of our deals. So we've got a, a good working relationship with him. Okay, so that deal, I mean, you know, tell me about being able to do a deal that size, maybe a couple of key factors, you know, as a first deal. Most people listening, I think if, if they're pursuing that first deal still, I mean, a 160 unit deal for your first syndication seems pretty overwhelming, I think, to most people, you know, if they haven't done a syndication yet. Yeah. And to provide a, a little context, to say that with my absolute first deal would probably be a little bit of an overstatement. I started back in 2014 when I was in college, I was a, a bigger pockets junkie listening to every podcast and everything I could get my hands on. I ended up buying two single family properties right out of school. Uh, the first one, I had a letter from Ernst & Young basically saying, you know, we're going to pay you this. And I leveraged that to get a mortgage with uh, a local bank in Nashville where I, I had a relationship and I moved three of my college buddies into that house. So for the first year, that was I, I cut my teeth on a single family, and then probably 11 months later, I had borrowed against that house, taken a HELOC out uh, against the equity. Nashville was rapidly increasing. I had put down a, a sizable enough down payment that I had some equity I could borrow against, and I used that HELOC to buy my second little property. And at that point, uh, it's not the right move for everybody, but I was I was pretty well maxed out on my leverage. Uh, I think if I had have had an HVAC go out at that point in time. I'm not sure I could have afforded to fix it, but um, that was right around 2016. And I realized, okay, this single family is great, good investment, but it's not scalable and not really where I want to go with my career and investment strategy. So started looking for different options. And that was about the time that I went to work for EY and their real estate group down in Atlanta. And they were purely focused on large multifamily transactions for the most part. So when I got into that group, I got a really good taste of how these deals were getting done, such as Mid-America buying a 25,000 unit portfolio of post properties. Uh, I saw all the models. I saw pretty much everything and how they valued the property, how they, who they were raising funds from, what those splits were. And at that same time, I joined a coaching and a networking group. So I had very little spare time, was very maxed out on leverage. I, I put some money on a credit card that I didn't have to join the networking group. But ultimately that networking group put me in touch with my business partner today. It gave me the confidence because I was seeing it from an institutional level. And you know that's one thing, but it's hard to, I think, imagine yourself buying properties at that size. But when I was able to see it on the smaller scale and, and get around people that 
that weren't institutional and were raising money, uh, bootstrapping and putting it together. That gave me a lot of confidence. So I ended up quitting Ernst & Young about two years into it, for better or for worse, for better now. But I flailed around for a good eight or nine months. I was helping some single family investors find deals in Chattanooga, Nashville. I helped the investor buy a 16 unit property. So it was a long time leading up to that first deal, as I call it. But during that time, I was putting in my work, doing a lot of sweat equity, saving what I could, you know, learning the ropes and ultimately building my network and my relationships. And in early 2018, uh, I joined a company that really had some firepower behind them. They were maybe two or three years into the business before me. And I was able to come in and kind of put gasoline on the fire, so to speak, but really enabled me to grow. But once that first deal hit, I think we got, an, I mean, it's kind of the law of the first deal that you always hear about, right? We probably had two under contract within the next two or three months, but that first deal was July 11th, 2018. And we went on to close another, a total of about 1500 doors to close out last year in 2019. So if anybody has an example of the law of the first deal and that momentum, you know, I can really attest to that. Wow. But there was a lot of work that led up to that that I think you don't always hear about, right? You weren't just laying on the beach the whole time is what you're saying. That's right. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> what everybody says, was, right? Oh, you got lucky. Well, you know, or it happened overnight. Overnight success. That's what you hear all the time, but they don't see you've been working towards that for years, you know? I was eating peanut butter and honey sandwiches and ramen noodles for a good eight months just so I didn't have to work so I could focus on multifamily. But, uh, you know, through that struggle and through that pursuit, you ultimately find people that are on the same path and that your skills meet their skills. And that's ultimately what the main catalyst was. This is very much a team sport and it's hard yeah. to get deals done by yourself. Yeah. I wanted to highlight, I mean, even through you talking about that process to getting where you're at now, or just getting that first deal. I mean, it was gradually like your network was increasing and improving constantly. That's right. That's you know, right. it was increasing and improving, you know, who you were connected with was changing. Then all of a sudden you found this other team and, you know, you all united and like you said, it ignited the fire even more. And, and so, you know, and here you are, you know, what, 1500 doors within what a year and a half or so, and you all are doing some amazing things. So, well, so, you know, now, you know, tell me, you know, like your specialty inside, you know, of your all's team now. So I came on originally as a, an acquisitions director and was purely focused on pursuit initiatives and underwriting deals and, and trying to find new deals. And as I've grown with the company and, and have I've gone on to take on more roles and responsibilities, my main focus is still acquisitions, but I'm more involved in the, the accounting and the finance side of the business and helping to structure internal controls from a reporting standpoint, not only to our investors, but also just property level accounting. I'm also involved in the marketing and trying to get a little more of following like my friend uh, Whitney Sewell here, because as you know, it's very important to, to build relationships and social media is a great tool to do that. So that's something that I, I've been focused on here. And then construction, I'm not the lead construction person on any of our, our properties, but that's a, a big component to all of these value add investments is understanding what it's going to cost to get it to where you need it to be. So that's something I enjoy as well. But if I had to break my roles and responsibilities down into buckets, it would be acquisitions, accounting and finance, construction, a little bit of marketing. 
I mean, anything with numbers, I mean, it kind of goes back to your specialty, right? Your training and lots of experience as a CPA, I'm sure. That's right. Yeah, very comfortable with the financial statements and, and pouring through those. Not the, the only thing I do or my favorite thing to do, but it's very important to understand that when you're underwriting and, sure. and analyzing properties, knowing what to look for, right? Let's dive into a recent, as a multifamily deal. I know you all are even you know, remodeling an office building right now, I know as well. And it's incredible to hear you know, just what all you all are working on. But let's dive into a recent multifamily deal that you all closed on. Sure. So I'll just give you the last one that we purchased. It went under, so it started uh, probably May of 2019 when we first started circling this deal and working on it and ended up probably closing on it in November of 2019. So it's a very long process. It was 208 units in Georgia and we bought it for about 37 a door. So a little over 7 million. The property was 80% occupied when we purchased it. We bought it from a longtime owner who had built the property, fully depreciated it, fully paid it off, and was just looking to... This guy was still showing up in the office every morning at 7.30 a.m. So, you know, old school real estate investor, really respect what he'd done, but just getting to a point in his life where it's, you know, it's time to probably uh, step back a little bit, right? And not uh, show up to the office every day. I think he was 83 years old. It still blows my mind that there's still owners like that, that are operating, you know, like I see it all the time in like, let's say a 30 unit or 40 unit property, but a 208 unit property is still hard for me to believe. There's still, you know, like owners that are self-managing that's been there that long. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see. I think it kept them young, but uh, it's a good goal to work towards. I want to be that old real estate guy that's still doing deals in his 80s. Yeah, we bought that uh, recently in, in November. We had to put a bridge loan on it because it didn't qualify for fixed rate agency financing. And we raised about 3.2 for that property. We're going to put about 2.5 to 2.7 in CapEx into that property. And over the next 12 months, we'll do exterior renovations such as roofs, siding, windows, doors, parking lot. What year was this property? 1986. 86. Okay. Good vintage. Had good bones. It was just tired is the best way I can describe it. How did you find this deal? This was through a broker relationship that we had and a sales broker that put us on this deal. But Uh, It was a little unique in the fact that he didn't have a listing agreement with the seller and the seller wasn't really, the seller had a broker's license. So there was a lot of negotiation going on directly with the seller. And by the end of it, the broker that had introduced me to the guy wasn't even really involved in a lot of the conversations. Uh, I had his number directly and met with him several times with, along with my business partner. But ultimately that first line of communication did come through a broker and of course, we paid the broker at closing because he didn't have a listing agreement and mm. was basically saying he wasn't going to pay the broker fee. But I can't say we would have found that deal without a broker. Nice. It's neat, though, that like, I mean, obviously, you all value that relationship so much. You're not going to go without paying him for that connection. Absolutely. If we really wanted to be uh, be swindlers, we could have, you know, said, you know, sorry, you know, see you next time kind of thing. And he really would have had no recourse, but just like you say, you know, relationships are everything in business and yes. especially this business. So we wanted to incentivize him to, to keep coming back. Yeah. I know you all better than that, or, you know, that's awesome. What delayed the closing so much? I mean, started in May, you know, and didn't close till November. 
I think part of it was the seller. He was a, an older guy and he wasn't in a huge hurry to sell. There was also, you know, a little bit of geographic challenges just from getting back and forth and meeting this gentleman. But, you know, I can't say, uh, you know, it's definitely not the fastest deal that we've signed up and closed, but we negotiated pretty hard on the deal. He was wanting a higher price in the beginning and we were trying to get to a lower price, but uh, we just went back and forth forever. And, you know, you call him and, you know, the phone call might get returned the day or the next day. So I think it was a combination of him not being super motivated and just, you know, negotiating back and forth. So what kept that ball rolling? I mean, obviously you all wanted to stay on top of that and get that under contract, but you know, over that period of time, what kept that going? So you got it to closing. Yeah. So when we first started meeting, he was just kind of feeling us out, I think. And some of these older owners, I think more, and he still lives close by. So I think he wanted to feel comfortable with who he was selling it to for one, but we went under a 90 day contract. So we probably talked for a good month or two before we actually signed a contract. And then it took us another three months to close it. Beyond that, we went into an extension period. But, you know, just when you look at enough deals, and this is something that I encourage younger or people that are getting into the business to do is just underwrite as many deals as you can. Because even if it you don't identify trends at the beginning, the more deals you underwrite, the more likely you are you're going to start seeing trends. So this was just a property where, you know, I didn't even really have to underwrite it to know that if we could stabilize this deal, it was going to work for our model and it was worth pursuing. And with the older gentleman, he valued things more than just money and moving as quickly as possible. So building, I think that trust and that rapport with him was something that uh, I knew he would, he was important to him as well. And, and yeah, and just seeing a good deal and knowing a good deal when you see one. So how, what's the whole period or expected for that property? So we're under a, a bridge loan on that property. We've got a 36 month term on that. So we'll need to, to refinance or sell that deal within that timeline. But from there, the decision will either to be to refinance and keep it long-term or to sell it and realize that equity that we've created from not only increasing occupancy, but also increasing income and reducing expenses, there'll be value creation from all three of those components. Our bread and butter is more of a long-term hold. You know, we like to set our debt up for a 10 to 12 year structure. So if we need to hold long-term, we can, but if we can realize our investment strategy within three to five years, we can exit sooner than our debt term. But we always try and get the longest debt we can. Yeah, Because as I think you may agree, uh, usually time will heal all wounds in real estate if you could just hold on to it long enough. But obviously we don't go into it with that attitude, but it's just a good way to mitigate risk on the front end, especially where we are right now and just not having to refinance or sell too soon. Are you all nervous at all about bridge debt, you know, right now with the, you know, everybody claiming there's a correction coming? That's a good question. You know, I think we wouldn't do a bridge product on just any property. And I think where people take more risk on the bridge products is when there's not a big deferred or there's not a big occupancy issue. You know, they might just be trying to take income from A to B and need a bridge loan to do it, but there's really not that big component of the property. I mean, this property was 80% occupied and it was really 
for no other reason than the owner was just not putting money back into it. And he was just kind of, he was comfortable, you know, it was cash flowing for him. So we knew that we could come in and we can move very quickly. We've got a construction team that can be deployed and get a lot of these jobs done very quickly. And we can get that occupancy up very quickly. So we don't even really have to increase income from the standpoint of we have to push rents. We really just have to put butts in seats and, Based on our analysis and research of the local market, the uh, average occupancy was above 90. So for this property to be built in the 1980s, be sitting around 80% occupied, you know, given the nature of the seller, we felt comfortable and confident that we can execute that business plan, but that is a risk you take. Yeah, it seems like management, it sounds like, was a big issue there or, or just optimizing that, which you all are going to probably already have done. Uh, you know, it's just, I'm sure, made a massive difference. How's the first couple of months been quickly? We've got to move on to the last few questions. Sure. The first uh, couple of months, we always keep the current staff and just kind of see how they were going. We did end up having a manager changeover at about day 60. And that was purely because she had been there for about 11 years. And I think she was just a little resistant to the change that was going on at the property, but we're coming in and executing our plan and starting interior renovations as well as exterior renovations. But as of now, things are on schedule. Cool. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we've got to move on to just a few final questions, but Will, you know, what's been the hardest part of this syndication process or journey for you? I would say, you know, in the beginning, just kind of staying persistent. You know, there's so many different things that can kind of kick you in the teeth in this business and and be discouraging, right? Whether it's not being able to find a deal or not finding, you know, investors or, you know, there's a number of things. So I think people and especially in younger generations and in the day and age we live in are expecting things to happen faster than they do. Not to say that they can't accelerate quickly, but I think a lot of people probably quit too soon and just finding that grit and persistence. But at the end of the day, it's not rocket science. What we do, it just, it takes a lot of grit, persistence, but you got to educate yourself too. But I think a lot of people want the result, but they don't want the work and the hurt to get to the result. What'd you say, eating ramen noodles and uh, ham sandwich or something? Peanut butter and honey sandwiches. <laughs> that was a, a staple diet for That's the for secret. Time. That's the secret. <laughs> So how are you all prepared for this potential downturn that everybody's talking about? We buy properties with a lot of cushion and we're, we're very conservative on what we purchase and we probably lose deals because of that. But the deals that we buy, we feel good going into. And even if we do have a pullback in the economy, unless there's a massive job loss or massive exodus of people out of the cities that we're invested in, typically what we've seen is occupancy stays consistent or or even trends up a little bit in down times, you just can't sell or refinance in those times. So that kind of brings me back to our long-term debt strategy is, is one way we mitigate that risk, but just buying conservatively, really knowing your numbers and not depending on forced appreciation from day one. What's a way you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? We are focusing on controls a lot right now. We took on a lot last year. And uh, if you've read the book, I'll do a plug for Traction. We're implementing some tools and strategies from the book Traction just to help us get better systematized, better structured. There's a lot of fires to put out on a daily basis in property management and buying these properties. So trying to get to a point where we are more preventative, right, versus reactive. Hmm. 
What's a way that you all are finding investors right now? Oh, I, you know, I'll have to give uh, credit to my business partner. She has raised the majority of the equity that we've had to buy these deals. But I think she would probably tell you that it's a lot of networking. I don't think it happens overnight. It, it, there's no magic bullet. I think it's getting in front of people that are interested in investing in real estate and sharing your story and building confidence in them that you can accomplish and, and ultimately be a good steward of their money. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Say persistence and partnering with the right people. I mean, it's a team sport and, you know, it's hard to get these deals done by yourself. And once you have a good team that everybody's really aligned and, and moving in the same direction, it's got to be people. And how do you like to give back? I like to give back anonymously. You know, I, I've always believed in, in giving back in one form or fashion, you know, whether that's uh, financially or whether it's given time, but I haven't really thought it out. I've just always, you know, kind of had my eyes and my ears open. And, and typically when I have the opportunity to give, you know, I see things that cross my path and it just kind of feels right to me. You know, I'll do a, another plug here. One of the, the organizations that I've donated to recently was Underground Railroad, which is an amazing organization that helps take kids out of sex trafficking, which is a very hard topic to discuss and thing to imagine, but it goes on in this world. So that was just kind of uh, proposed to me through a, a networking group that I was involved in. And, you know, it just felt right to me and, you know, just kind of came up. So yeah. you just got to look for those opportunities because they're everywhere, right? It is. I appreciate you bringing that up and giving back in that way. It's a crazy thing how much of that exists. And so many of us are just oblivious to it. We just have our blinders on. We don't even know any of that's happening. But it's just disheartening how much of that is happening and we don't even know it. I appreciate you giving back and even just even making us all more aware of that. Just even saying that, William, I'm grateful for your time and being on the show. And I welcome you back sometime. I'd love to even talk about that deal a little more or I just jump into some more analysis stuff. But uh, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Sure. So I'm on social media at Will Walker underscore three and then at our company website, 4MREI.com. Awesome, William. That's a wrap. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.